your Bibles this morning, Romans chapter number 12. And let me just again encourage you not to be casual about church. Uh, Try to hold as much of a format at home as possible. I was talking to uh, Angela and the kids about church at home and, and just making sure they're seated on the couch and engaged and watching and not uh, up and running to the bathroom or uh, raiding the fridge every five minutes. And, and uh, Matthew said to me, he said, Dad, Ginger, Ginger's her dog, Ginger is the devil while we're trying to have church. He said, Ginger is, is constantly bringing a toy and dropping it in my lap and nudging me and wanting me to play with her. And Angela said, yeah, we just have had to put Ginger in her cage during church services because she's nothing but a distraction. And I know that uh, when we're doing uh, church at home, it's easy to not maybe take it as serious, and, uh, or at least for our kids to not take it as serious. And so uh, try your best to, uh, to be engaged uh, throughout the service. I, I know that the sermon today is going to help many people. Uh, I, I want to say up front, I don't target anyone when I put a sermon together, and I preach truth. Now, when you're a pastor and you know your flock, uh, there are times when you put a sermon together and you know that it's hitting someone right between the eyes or directly in the heart. And while you're preaching, uh, I, I am praying, even while I'm preaching sometimes, that God will, not, will help people to not feel targeted. Uh, I put this uh, sermon down on the calendar to be preached today back in November. And I know that uh, if you're sitting, and one other thing, if you're sitting there thinking, he wrote that sermon for me, there's probably seven, eight, nine other people who think the same thing. And so uh, I just want to preach the truth, and I want the truth to help make you free. And I hope today that will happen. Romans chapter 12 will be in verse 17, and we'll read down through verse 21. Through the sermon today, we're going to be from 9 down through 21, and we're going to look at this pastor, this passage expositorily. Beginning in 17, the Bible says, Recommend, uh, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto, de- unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. Notice the certainty of verse number 19. Vengeance is mine. It doesn't say I might repay. It says I will, I will repay, saith the Lord. Verse 20, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap hot coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, Look at verse 21, but overcome evil with good. Well, we're back on our theme, Love Works, this year. We're looking at our second series of topical sermons on this topic of love. Uh, The People I Love is the name of the series. And today we're going to focus in on this topic of loving my foe or loving my enemies. Let's pray. Lord, of all of the things you've asked us to do, this is the toughest of all. This is the one where our Christianity is really tested. Lord, help us to dig deep into our own hearts. 
We're so busy oftentimes trying to correct our own enemy that we can't see our own fallacies and faults. And so, Lord, help us for a little while to forget about our enemies and what they've done to us and to focus on ourselves. And, Lord, help us to learn to love others the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our series, The People I've Loved, we, uh, People I Love, we have looked at loving these people. Uh, loving my Heavenly Father. Loving my family. We looked at loving my family. And below that, we looked at loving my spouse and, and loving my children. And then loving my fellow man. Under loving my fellow man, we had three sermons. Uh, we looked at um, uh, loving the broken, loving the brethren, and loving my neighbor. And so loving my Heavenly Father, loving my family, loving my fellow man. This morning we will look at the toughest person that God has called us to love. Who is that? God has called us to love my foe, love our foe. At the very end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you how to scripturally punish your enemy. That's right. You heard me right. How you can punish your enemy. How you can just pour God's punishment all over your enemy and have God's thumb up approval on your doing it. So you'll want to hang out, hang out to the end of the sermon so you can hear exactly how to do that. But first, I want to tell you a joke. You're required to laugh, even if it isn't funny, okay? Uh, Pastor Morales is very good at laughing at my jokes. Even if they're not funny, he's, he's very good at encouraging me, encouraging me. Here's the joke. The story is told of a girl who regretted breaking off her engagement with her fiance Tommy and feelings of, of bitterness and nastiness had grown between them and one thing led to another the relationship got cold and and uh, this young lady broke off her engagement with Tommy so she wrote this letter after the uh, breaking off of the engagement it says dear to- dearest Tommy no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt since breaking off our engagement Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. And then below where she signed her name, she wrote this. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he said this, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them, pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, Matthew 5, 44 goes 100% against the grain of what our flesh wants to do. Um... It goes against our upbringings. We all grew up on some level either watching our parents or watching everyone else. Maybe you had exceptional parents that were Matthew 544 Christians. Probably not. Some of you, yes. Most of you, no. All right. But um, even if your parents were Matthew 544 Christians, 99% of the people that you know weren't. So you grew up watching people say, I don't get mad, I get even. And sometimes people got mad and even. This is, this is our upbringings. All of us. This is the culture 
of the world around us. Now, if you know much about the fish trout, what do they do? They swim upstream. They go against the current. You know what loving your enemy is? It's trout Christianity. It's swimming against the stream, against the current. Um, Blessing those who curse me. uh, Doing good to those who I know hate me. Praying for someone who has gone as far as taking advantage of me and persecuting me. I'm going to pray for them. I'll pray for them, all right. No, you'll pray against them, but do you actually pray for them? Loving your enemy, blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who hate you, praying for those who have taken advantage of you. This is Christianity at its finest. But it requires a great denial of the flesh in order for you to be able to live this way. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself this question, how does someone become my enemy? How does someone become my enemy? Boy, I've given that a lot of thought. At some point, there is an offense or maybe even offenses. Sometimes these offenses are real. And sometimes these offenses are just perceived. Please understand that a perceived offense to the person who perceives it, to them it is very real. Even if it isn't real, to them it is very real. There is generally a sharp disagreement over the offense or an unreasonable selfishness on the part of one or both to confess or forgive after the offense. An impasse is reached in the relationship, and at least one of the two parties declares the other side to be your enemy. Let me give you some examples this morning. Maybe you've experienced some of these. A boss mistreats you, and it leads to you getting fired. You ever had that happen? I have. I've only been fired one time. I won't go into the details, but it was very, very unfair. It was very, very unjust. In fact, the boss was firing me in order to cover his tracks uh, over his own wrongdoing. And I was shown the door in order to cover up something someone else had done. Uh, Maybe you've been in that spot where you have had your boss fire you or mistreat you and it led to you losing your job. That creates a situation where either you are their enemy or they are your enemy or both. Um, Here's another scenario. Someone slanders your name or hurts your reputation. And then after they've done that, they refuse to admit or they refuse to apologize for the pain they have caused you. And that can create a situation of great animus, of of enemies. Uh, Maybe here's another scenario. There's a falling out with a family member. Uh, there's yelling and screaming and extreme comments uh, that are made. And then years go by, and because of pride on both sides, that, that pride prevents any reconciliation. And there's a lot of other scenarios out there uh, where someone can become your enemy. But let me ask you this question. Do you have at least one? Do you have at least one? Um, If you have your Bible in your lap and you have a scrap piece of paper in your Bible, or maybe you're taking notes and you have a a piece of paper out for taking notes, can I encourage you right now to populate an enemy list? 
Now, this might, list might need to stay very private. Let me help you with how to populate this list, okay? There are people out there, and I'm going to speak about my list for a moment, all right? Now, I'm not going to give names, but I'll speak in generalities of how I went about populating my own list. There are people out there that my flesh just doesn't like very much. When I think of their name, offenses come to mind that make my blood boil or anger me or frustrate me or get my blood pressure up. Uh, If those people were to walk in the same room as me, I would become very uncomfortable because I do not like them for something they've done to me. Their name would be on the list because uh, that is an that is an offense that is unresolved that has hurt me or is currently hurting me. And so their name would go on the list. They are my enemy. Here, here's another group of people that should go on the list. There are other people out there that I love, but they don't like me. They don't like me. Um, if I were to walk in the room, I would feel no animus toward them but they would feel great animus toward me. I wouldn't be uncomfortable being in their presence, but they would be uncomfortable being in my presence. I did something, or they perceived that I did something, that hurt them deeply. And I have a spirit of wanting to reconcile with them, but they don't have a spirit of wanting to reconcile with me. Now, I'm not judging them for not wanting to reconcile. Nonetheless, they belong on my enemy list as well. While I don't consider them an enemy, they consider me an enemy. They belong on this list. So who is it that uh, you have been offended by and who is it that you have offended or there, or there at least, at least there is a perceived offense? Put those names down on that list. I mean it. Right where you're at right now, write down some names. If you need to just put initials to keep it Um, uh, anonymous, if you need to just write first names, uh, do what you must, but put those names down. I know we all have that mental list. It would do you good to put those names down. I'm going to now test your Christianity. I'm going to put your Christianity to the test, to the ultimate test. There's a material out there called litmus paper. And you you dip it uh, in a solution, and when it comes up, you know whether it is uh, uh, acid or alkaline, I believe, are the two uh, items that it could be. And uh, litmus paper. I'm going to put your Christianity into a a solution, and we're going to see whether you are a Christian that is Christ-like or a Christian that is wayward. All right? Here's the question. How do you treat those people on your enemy list? You show me how you treat those people on that list, and I will show you what kind of Christian you are. Now, if you have um, been so deeply hurt by someone that their very presence is traumatizing to you, I am not indicating that you need to have a rekindled relationship with them. But as we get into the message this morning, I am going to give you some things that you can do to love your enemy, to love your enemy. What is your spirit toward those who are on that list? I propose that just as God loved us when we were his enemies, 
We are called to love others when we are theirs. You do not overcome evil with evil. You do not overcome evil with evil. Rather, you overcome evil with good. To the level of evil, to that same level, you must do good. To the level of evil that's been handed to you, you must pay back with good, if not even more. I have no subpoints this morning, but I do have seven points. Now, um, now stay with me. I will be conscious and cognitive of the time. I promise uh, to behave myself this morning. But we're going to begin in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at seven thoughts as it relates to how to love our enemies. Now, a lot of these verses from 9 down through verse 21 uh, are taken on their own and they're preached and they're used uh, out of context. And uh, uh, there, 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 there are applications given from these verse, uh, verses. But please understand uh, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. The applications that are given are good and in line with other verses in the Bible. But please understand the point being made by Paul to the church of Rome here from verse 9 all the way down to the end of the chapter. This is about loving my enemy. How to effectively love my enemy. If I'm going to love my enemy the way that I am supposed to love them, then I need to know Romans 12, 9, all the way down through the end of the book. And I need to give myself a checklist of where my love is toward them. So let's jump in this morning and look at these seven points. Point number one is this. Love's purity. Love's purity. Look back with me in Romans chapter 12. And look at verse number 9. The Bible says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. That word dissimulation there means uh, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And so, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without a double standard. Let love be without uh, 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 impurities within it. Love must be Pure. Love must be pure. Somerset um, uh, Moghan's mother was an extraordinarily beautiful woman married to an extraordinarily ugly man. When a family friend once asked how such a beautiful woman could have married such an ugly man, here was her reply. She said, he has never once hurt my feelings. He has never once hurt my feelings. A pure love is a love that is mature. A pure love is a love that has been worked out. It's been tested. It's been tried. Infirmities have been brought to the top and scraped off. And then brought to the top and scraped off. And brought to the top and scraped off. And my friend, if you're going to have a love that is pure, then your love is going to need to be put through some relationship trials. Through some relationship Fires That person in your life right now that you just can't stand. That person in your life right now that is hurting you. That person in your life right now that is causing you great grief. That Those people on that list who uh, make your blood pressure come up. God has allowed those offenses in your life because He's trying to purify your love for future relationships down the road. 
I look back over my shoulder at all of the hardships that I have been through as a 36-year-old man, and I would have never once signed up to go through any of those trials. Not one of them would have I said, God, please put me through that. But once I have gotten through them, I look back at them and I say, God, those Fires in my life were meant to refine me and make me a pure version of Jesus Christ. Turn me more into a Christ-like figure. Help me to be a pure Christian. And my friend, it's no different. You say, why does this person have to do this to me? Why did that person have to hurt me? I think back to a time when my son was just a small little boy, three-year-old boy, and playing in the play place at Chick-fil-A and He got into a tussle with another child there in the play place. The little boy was bullying him and 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 being mean to him. And Matthew was retaliating. And there was some a little bit of back and forth. And my wife is sitting right outside the glass window, talking with a couple of ladies from our church there, and and just having a a, a, a morning of fellowship. And the mother of the the boy that Matthew had gotten into a tussle with walked up and put two hands on his chest and shoved him with her full force on the ground and knocked him on the ground and then got down on him and put her finger in his chest and started to push and and, and yell and get red in the face at my at my uh, at my son and my wife came out of her chair and went running in there and 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 corrected the mother strongly and then got on the police a phone and called the police can i tell you that when i think back to that if i dwell on that boy the court case that ensued and uh, the plea bargains that were reached and all of the hardship uh, and and seeing that woman in court and the feelings uh, bowing up in my heart over the offense. How could you treat a little child that way? How could you behave in such an angry way? God was using that hardship in my life, in my wife's life, as a relationship struggle to refine my love for those who mistreat me. Love's Purity, love's purity. Instead of looking at that person and saying, why do they have to grace this earth? Boy, you ought to drop your head and say, God, thank you for using that person to grow me in your grace. Love's purity. Number two, notice love's preference. Love's preference. Go back to Romans chapter 12 and look at verse number 10. The Bible says, be kindly. And again, remember the context is loving your enemy. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is always to say you before me, you before me. Boy, I would rather lay down and be at loss and let you take advantage of me than to ever even being accused of having put me before you. You before me. Now, that's easy when you're holding the door for someone and maybe letting them cut in front of you in line. Boy, that's easy when you have a grocery cart full of groceries and the person buying you has two or three items and you let them go in front of you. Are you preferring someone? Yes. But how about when you are the one that has two or three items And the person behind you has a grocery cart full and you can tell they're having a rough day. You can tell that their kids are driving them nuts and they need to get out of the store. And you know letting them in front of you is going to be a 15 to 20 minute delay. 
Are you willing then to prefer others ahead of yourself, even when it's inconvenient? Boy, we can, we can prefer others when it's convenient. Can we prefer others when it's inconvenient? Here's another question. Can you prefer someone else even when they have mistreated you? Can you let someone take greater advantage of you, trusting God will punish them, instead of you trying to be the one to seek vengeance on them? Look at verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Now let me talk about that phrase, given to hospitality, for a moment. Um, Given to hospitality is the idea that I am going to take care of you. I'm going to be hospitable toward you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Hospital, hospitable. What is a hospital for? It's for those that are sick. It's for those who are struggling. It's for those who are wounded. It's for those who are broken. Hospitable is when I take my grace and I reach and extend it to you. This is a spirit of deference. This is a spirit of preference. This is a spirit that says, Mi casa es tu casa. My house is your house. Um, My car is your car. You need me to give you a ride somewhere? Boy, uh, as long as it's not making me break any commitments, I'm willing to help you out. Um, uh, what I have is for you. Um, my, my, uh, uh, those things I cherish and hold near to my heart, I will use them to defer and prefer you. I am given to being hospitable. Look down at verse 15 of Romans 12. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend. Condescend. Come down off your high horse. Condescend to men of loaves estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. The main reason why Christians, or and I use that term loosely, The reason why Christians do not prefer or defer or have a spirit of deference or hospitable is because they're filled with their own pride. They're filled with their own conceits. They're filled with getting their way. They're filled with winning at no cost or at all cost. Uh, They're filled with uh, coming out on top. They're, They're not willing to rejoice with those that rejoice. I don't want to see you get ahead because that might mean I'm not getting ahead. I don't want to see that person in the office get the promotion because that means I didn't get the promotion. Oh, no, I'm to rejoice with those that do rejoice. I am to weep with those that weep. On another note, when someone has mistreated you, that could be a sign that they're broken inside. That could be a sign that they're hurting inside. That could be a sign that in the privacy of their own life, they're weeping over their own hurts. Boy, instead of getting angry and frustrated and mad at them for what they've done to you, how about you come along their side and try to understand where they're coming from and who they are? Have you thought about weeping with those that weep? You say, yeah, but their brokenness is hurting me. I understand that. Have you taken the time to try to understand? I mean fully understand. I mean on a heart level understand their brokenness. Love's preference. The Christian's life, the Christian life is one of deference. It's an attitude of I'd rather you have than I have. 
I'd rather you have than I have. Number one, we looked at love's purity. Number two, love's preference. Number three, notice love's patience. Love's patience. Again, I'm just preaching the passage this morning. Don't get offended at me. Get offended with God who wrote the book. Um, uh, Pastor Morales is, uh, is, is good with his little quotes. And uh, he's got a source. I won't give up his source. Uh, but he's got a source. And one of the quotes he, uh, he, he seldom uses around here is, uh, I'm not the one that wrote it. I just quote it and tote it. So uh, don't get upset with me. I'm just the messenger. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. We'll look at the rest of the verse here in a moment. Rejoicing in hope. Patient. Patient in tribulation. Again, let's keep in mind Romans 12 is written to teach us how to love our enemy. How to bless them that curse us. How to feed those that are hungry, that hate us. How to give drink to those that are thirsty, that uh, have taken advantage of us. How to pray for those that have used us and, and persecuted us. The Bible says there will be relational tribulation. There will be hardships. There will be nightmarish relationships that come into your life. And the Bible says, when you feel like you're in tribulation, be patient. Be patient. And then to back it up a phrase, he says, rejoice in hope. What is hope? And where does hope come from? Our hope comes from the God who has both made us, please don't miss this, He's made us and He has saved us. He's made us and He has saved us. Now, why am I emphasizing the made us and saved us? Here is why. Have you ever wondered why it is uh, possible that even lost people have some sort of a moral compass? Have you ever wondered how that works? Boy, they're, they're not saved. They're not God's children. And, and, and they're, they're walking as children of the world. They're walking in darkness. And, and, and they cannot do the truth, as First John tells us. Have you ever wondered where that moral compass comes from? That moral compass comes from God because He was made. They were made in His image. Good and God. You've heard me say this before. There's only one letter separating good from God. Because God is good and good is God. And any good that any human being does is a result of being made in the image and likeness of God. Now, please follow my train of thought here. Because we're made in His image and likeness, there is some good in everyone. There is some good in everyone. In everyone. You say, oh, pastor, you don't know my ex Boyfriend, my ex-husband, my ex-wife, my ex-girlfriend. You don't know my ex-boss. Uh, uh, you don't know uh, the, the the person at the church uh, that I used to go to that that hurt me deeply. Pastor, there is not a single drop of good in them. And I would say, yes, there is. Yes, there is. You say, Pastor, are you saying there was good in the heart of Osama bin Laden? I'm saying there was. Are you saying there is good in the heart of a Jeffrey Dahmer? There's good in the heart of, 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 of some of these other folks who've committed atrocious, mass murderous type crimes? Yes. Now, that good may be buried. That good may be uh, 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 that good may be hidden, that good may never manifest itself, but by the very nature of them being made in the image of likeness of God, there is good there somewhere. There is good there somewhere. Now, when the Bible says rejoicing in hope, what does that mean? We are to rejoice in the possibility that a person who has mistreated us 
has enough good in them to come around. Boy, you should never lose hope in anybody. That doesn't mean you let your guard down and you let them walk all over you. But you should never write off anyone. Totally write off anyone. Have you stopped to consider that the person who has so mistreated you, their good is broken by someone else's hurt that's been given to them? Have you stopped to consider that deep down inside there is good, but only God can heal them and bring that out of them? We cannot lose hope. We must be patient in that relational tribulation, trusting that God is working on their heart. God is helping to bring them around. Boy, that doesn't mean that you lay down and let them hurt you. That doesn't mean that you stay in an abusive relationship. That doesn't mean that you have no spine and you let the other person's behavior hurt you. Boy, you do what you need to do. You you follow sound biblical counsel, but you never lose hope that God can bring them around to good. Loves patience. Number four, notice loves prayer. Loves prayer. Look with me back at Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. I love this continuing instant in prayer. We live in a day of instant coffee and instant fast food and instant internet and instant YouTube uh, uh, videos and instant streams and instant this and instant that. We live in the era of microwaves and toasters and toaster ovens where you can buy a meal that's been pre-cooked and and dry frozen and we can put it in our microwave and we can have lasagna in five minutes. Instant. And so you see we get this Patience in instance backwards. We're instant, we're instant in tribulation, and we're really patient in going to the Lord in prayer. Well, Lord, I, I don't want to pray. I especially don't want to pray for that person that's on my enemy list. I especially don't want to pray for those people who have hurt me. This, there is a mistake I made very early on in my adult life. I believe that as long as I was a really nice guy, that I could convince anyone to like me. There's only one problem with this. People take offense for almost anything. Have you noticed that? How easily offended some people are? Especially people start taking offense when you stand up for what you believe or you stand up for someone you love. When you take a stand for what you believe, even if you do it in a nice guy way, somebody's going to be offended, not by your disposition, but by your position. When you take a stand for someone that you love, again, you can do it in a nice guy way, nice girl way. Someone is going to take offense at your stand. What do you do? What do you do when you have people who have just decided to be your enemy? Sometimes you can't bring out the good in your enemy, no matter how hard you try. Boy, you can, you can uh, show compassion to them. Uh, and then again, this is someone on that enemy list who doesn't like you. Maybe you like them, but they just don't like you. 
Man, you're really working to try to get them to come around. I have found that uh, sometimes I can be so aggressive in trying to convince someone that I love them that I squeeze a little too hard. And they're like a bar of soap, a wet bar of soap. They just go flying out of my hand. And uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to convince them. And it, it just causes them to dislike me that much more. What do you do when someone has been so hurt, or maybe you're so hurt, that it's either too painful for you or too painful for them to even be in the same room? In these circumstances, what can you do? How can you love your enemy? Listen to me. You can pray. You can pray. Oh, pastor, I prayed all right. I prayed God would rain down His wrath and He would wipe them off the planet. You're asking a miss that you can consume on your own lust. Boy, we're not to pray for someone in that manner. We're to pray for them. We're to pray for them. Many of you know the story of Job, don't you? Um, Job was the richest man in the civilized world. And in a matter of about an hour, reports came to him that it was all gone. And if that wasn't bad enough to lose all of his wealth, this would be like Bill Gates going from a multi-billionaire to zero dollars in any accounts in an hour. Imagine what would have to happen. The extremities that would have to happen for Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates to lose everything. And then imagine, if you will, that someone else comes in the room and tells Mr. Gates or Mr. Bezos that his children have all died at the same time. This is what Job experienced. And then imagine, if you will, that Mr. Bezos or Mr. Gates then becomes covered head to toe with, um, uh, with, with pussy sores, boils, that he has to scrape out. This is Job's story. And here Job is sitting in the ash with a piece of broken pottery, using it to push out the pus from his boils, and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, show up. And I call them friends. Boy, they really weren't his friends. They became his enemies. Can I just say here, the, the, the hardest hurts, the hardest relational hurts I've ever felt have come from people who were supposed to be my friends. People who I thought loved me. People that I had laughed with, loved, prayed with, worshipped with. People I had opened my heart to. People who I had called friends. Some of the most bitter Feelings that I feel today toward individuals come toward people who I used to be very close to. And they betrayed my trust. And it stings. It hurts. This is what Job experienced. We get the whole story of Job, what happened to him in the first few chapters. This book is long. Do you know what most of the book of Job is? It's Job's friends, friends attacking him and him trying to defend himself. It's Job's friends acting self-righteous and making him look like a spiritual fool 
And then God steps in and offers Job perspective. Look with me at Job chapter 42, verse 10. We see that God would not bless Job until he prayed for his frenemies. I call them frenemies. You've heard this said, with friends like this who needs enemies, that was really the case for Job. Job 42, verse 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave twice as much as he had before. Well, God was not going to release Job from captivity that Satan had him under, the bondage that Satan had him under. And God was not going to pour blessings on Job until Job could find it in his heart to bow his head and pray positively for those who had wounded his spirit. So that list that I had you make or that you should have made, when was the last time you prayed for those people? When was the last time you bowed your head and said, Lord, give such and such a good day today? Help them to feel the sunshine in their soul. Put a song in their heart. Put money in their bank account. Give health to their children. Give their relationships a blessing. Help them, Lord, to know what it means to walk with you. Uh, Help them, Lord, to turn from their sin and their unrighteousness and know peace in their heart. You say, I'm not the one that did wrong. They wronged me. Oh, maybe so, but God has called you. To pray for them. We are to be instant in prayer. We are to assume prayer. The position of prayer first. Not last. Number five. Notice love's pursuit. Love's pursuit. Go back with me to Romans chapter 12. And look at verse number 17. The Bible says. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all man. Uh, Look at verse 18. This is really the, the, the theme verse, the key verse of this passage. If it be possible. Hey, if you're home, read it out loud. If you're here in the building, read verse 18 out loud with me. Ready? If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You know what that means? That means that no matter what it takes... No matter how far you have to bend over backwards, no matter how much you have to do, boy, if it is possible for you to make a change, to create peace in a relationship, if it be possible, you are to do it. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. What is it that love pursues? Love pursues peace. Love looks for peace. Love says, I will be a peacemaker to a situation between a brother or sister and I, no matter what it takes. Blessed are the peacemakers, Romans 5, 8 tells us, for they are the children of God. It is the identifier of a child of God that when someone has wronged you, you will seek peace no matter what. If it lieth within me and I can do it, I'm going to do it. I will seek peace. I will pursue peace. So how do we do that? Well, the Bible lays out the formula for us. Step one, do not avenge yourself. Do not seek to punish the person 
who's causing you the pain. Think about those on your enemy list. And I want you to ask yourself a very honest question. Are you trying to punish them? Are you trying to give them an attitude in such a way where you're going to change their behavior? Are you using wrath to combat their, their sin? Then, my friend, you're just in just as much sin as they are. Are you making it your goal to see them suffer? I want to remind you that condemnation does not belong to me or you. Condemnation belongs to God. Condemnation belongs to those who hold authority over someone. The condemnation within my home over wrongdoing belongs to my wife and I toward our children. The condemnation of wrongdoing as an employer belongs to me when it comes to those who receive a paycheck from the church because I am the boss. I am the leader. And if there's wrongdoing, it is my place to come down and condemn the action. It's my place to bring about a punishment that is equal to the action. But my friend, if that person who is on your enemy list, you have no direct authority over, then it is not on you to punish them. It is on you to turn that right to punish over to those in charge and specifically to God on high and trust Him to bring down the vengeance. Trust Him to repay the wrongdoing. And again, I will remind you, I will remind you what it says in verse 19. God says, I will repay. He doesn't say I might. It says I will. And I'm going to tell you what I've learned. Those who have really, really sinned against me, God's timing in punishing them is not my timing. I want to instant. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to deal with them in my time and in my way, not on your schedule, on my schedule. God has not called us to condemn. God has not called us to curse. God has called us to bless. Look at verse 14. Romans 12, 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse. Bless and condemn not. Listen, we have to turn over our right to punish to God. And we have to pick up the mantra of blessing. We have to pick up the mantra of of being an encouragement. We have to say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to condemn them for their actions. I'm going to bless them for their actions. And I'm going to let God condemn them. Love's pursuit. It pursues peace at all costs. Number six, notice love's provision. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Love's provision. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. In the grace of giving, the book Grace of Giving, Stephen Olford tells tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution named Peter Miller, who lived in uh, Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Ephrata also lived Michael Whitman, an evil-minded sort who did all that he could to oppose and humiliate this pastor. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for high treason and sentenced to die. Pete Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of his enemy and this traitor. No, no, Pete, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, this man is the bitterest enemy that I have. What, cried Washington, you've walked 70 miles to save the life 
of an enemy? Wow, that puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. Peter Miller and Michael Whitman made the 70-mile track back home to Ephrata no longer enemies, but friends. How did Pastor Whitman handle, or rather Pastor Miller handle his enemy? He blessed the one that had cursed him. He loved on the one who had despitefully used him. Loves provision. Christian, if you take the attitude of, well, let me give you point seven, then I'll make this point. Number seven, and lastly, notice, loves punishment. Loves punishment. Okay, pastor, in the introduction, you told me that you were going to give me a biblical way to punish my enemies. A way that God would give a thumbs up to and endorse. How do I do it? Well, this passage in Romans 12 is given to us twice. You also find these verses, I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 14. Uh, But look with me at Romans chapter 12 and verse number 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, look here, thou shalt heap hot, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Oh, ouch. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So the Bible says here that there is a behavior I can give my enemy that, number one, God approves of, and number two, will cause pain to the one who has wronged me. Will keep coals of fire upon their head. Does that mean, Pastor, that I get to punish my enemy? Yes, by being kind. By being kind. What does our flesh instruct us to do about punishing our enemy? Well, our flesh says if our enemy is hungry, then we should watch them starve. We should watch them starve with great glee. If our enemy is thirsty, we should, we should go behind and turn the source of the water off so they can't get any water out of the water fountain. If our enemy curses us, then we should curse back. You say, Pastor, I don't hurt my enemies. I just shut them out of my life and my heart. And I just take the avenue of pretending as though they don't exist. Proverbs twenty four seventeen reminds us, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Can I tell you that, that pretending as though they don't exist, that's not right either. God has called us to punish our enemies by pouring down deferential, selfless love all over them. Jesus told the enslaved Jews, if a Roman centurion, your hated enemy, commands you to carry his backpack a mile, you carry it two miles instead. And you show him grace and kindness while you carry it. I finish with this story, this illustration. This story is told about a wife who had grown a strong hatred toward her husband. She went to a counselor and sought advice on how she may end the relationship with her marriage. She told the the counselor all of the hardship that she had endured throughout their marriage. And the counselor agreed that the relationship was in dire straits and great peril and asked this distressed wife how she wanted to proceed. The wife replied, oh, with great vengeance. Uh, She said uh, to the counselor she wanted to leave him in such a way whereas to make her husband suffer the most possible to suffer greatly. So here is what the counselor instructed the woman to do. She said, we're going to set your husband up and we're going to pull the rug out from underneath him. She said, for the next 30 days, I want you to wake up early each morning and make him his favorite breakfast foods. 
pack him a full lunch, put his favorite snacks in there, and then slip him a perfume-scented love note inside of his pants pocket on occasion for him to find. When he gets home from work, sit him down in his favorite chair and rub his shoulders and rub his back and give him a massage. Give him his favorite paper or allow him to have some leisure time. Go in the kitchen and cook him a nice supper. And, and then when he talks, I know you don't care for him. I know you're not uh, really interested, but just pretend interested in everything he has to say. At nighttime, love on him as a wife should, and then put him to sleep with a loving kiss and a warm embrace. After 30 days of pouring it on thick, after 30 days of giving him everything you have to give him, yank the rug right out from underneath him and leave that sorry man. Make him feel so sorry for what he has done to mistreat you all these years. This will bring the greatest amount of suffering and bitterness to his soul possible. The woman sat there with a maniacal smile on her face and said, I'm going to do it. The counselor said, good. Uh, uh, See my secretary and set up a a follow-up appointment in 35 days. Five days removed from it, I want to meet with you again and I want you to report back to me and let me know how it went. 25 days into this 30-day experiment, the lady phoned the office and canceled her follow-up appointment. The offending husband had changed. She had overcome his evil by heaping hot coals of kindness all over his selfish head. Her husband was her enemy, but her good overcame his evil. Let me finish by saying there is not a one-size-fits-all solution to fix every relationship. Some relationships are so broken they cannot and will not be repaired. You cannot force someone to forgive you. You cannot force someone to like you. But you can choose to let these relationships, these these relational hardships, purify your love for both your enemies and for others. You cannot choose the actions of your enemy, but you can choose to love your enemy. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved you when you were his enemy? If you're here today and you are still the enemy of Christ because you've not accepted him, will you do that before it's eternally too late? Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, a lot of emotions are being felt in the heart of many people right now. Lord, no doubt tears have been shed as this sermon's been preached. Lord, I have taken my finger and I have figuratively touched some very delicate, sensitive areas. People's spiritual hearts. Lord, I would trade every dollar in the world to have no enemies on that list. I would rather be relationally rich than fiscally rich. And I know so many people dealing with brokenness feel the same way. But God, as long as we live on this earth, people are going to take advantage of us. They're going to hurt us. As long as we live on this earth, we're going to hurt others just by the very nature of our sin. We're going to create enemies and we're going to have enemies. 
Lord, help us to commit to a spirit of deference, a spirit of preferential treatment toward others. Help us, God, to forgive. Help us, God, to not just push out of our mind those who've hurt us, but to proactively love those who've hurt us. Help us, Lord, to overcome evil with good the way you overcame our evil with your good on the cross. Lord God, if you can overcome my sin debt with your goodness, then there is no evil that cannot be overcome against me. Help me, Lord, to do my part with those who have made their way on that list. Help us, Lord, as a church and individuals to do the same. For the one here this morning listening in who's not put their faith and trust in you to save them, help them to understand it's not about their good behavior. It's about their faith. Help them to turn from their pride and their attempt at self-righteousness. Help them to see themselves as a filthy sinner the way that we all are. And help them to come humbly to the cross and accept the free gift of eternal life that you purchased when you died there. Lord, you live, you're alive, and you offer that to us. Lord, would you work specifically in the hearts of those listening in today? Do a great work in Jesus' name.